0: Kia ora whanau. my name is Caleb and today we are continuing in our Romans series. We're engaging with a large chunk of scripture today, so I want us to jump straight in and I'd love for you to read along and bear with me in this space. Romans 14 verse 1 Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over the disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the other with contempt. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both dead and the living. You, then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, "'As surely as I live,' says the Lord." every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account for ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your own mind and put away the stumbling block or obstacle that may be in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by eating, destroy someone whom Christ died for. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that causes someone to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Jesus Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarch might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord. All you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whew! What a passage. We made it. What I want to do now is I want us to remember what this Roman community is like in the context of these last few chapters. The context of this section is crucial to understanding this passage today. Paul is encouraging the Roman church here in chapters 12 and 13 that they may serve one another with their God-given gifts through being unified in love and forgiveness. We must remember that this was a diverse group of people meeting together, Jews and Gentiles coming together under the gospel of Jesus in Rome. Our passage today in chapters 14 and 15 begins with this address of these ideas of ethnic division in the Roman church, such as food and the Sabbath. Paul's encouragement is one where these practices should not define who we are in the family of God. He is trying to get them to realize that these are second or third order articles of faith. In fact, he encourages the church to learn how we can show grace on these non-essential areas. Before we unpack this passage any further, I believe it is so important for us to look and have a better understanding of the essentials and the non-essentials of faith. One of the big questions that we talked about at the National Baptist Pastors Hui here at 2023 was, can we stay in the room together? Meaning when we face all these big issues as a church, things that often divide churches and denominations, can we have the humility and the grace and the understanding to stay in the room together and dialogue through this? Often this leads us to try and understand who or what views we can tolerate. This seems like the natural next step, especially when we live in a world that is filled with information and diversity. However, this is actually the wrong question, I believe. Instead, should we be asking what unites us? What you are seeing here is three circles with an anchor in the center. This is a concept that one of the lecturers at our Bible college here at Kerry, Krista McCurlin, talked about. And one of the things that we have been going through at Lean In here at Windsor Park over the last month. The center circle is represented by this anchor where we are held by the essentials of our faith. And we believe in these things. We call them first order doctrine. Simply put, these are the things that are the core of who we are. Without these, our entire faith system falls over. To use the boating analogy, it, we drift away. For an example would be Jesus, his birth to the Virgin Mary. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection after three days in the tomb. The second circle represents how the core beliefs are worked out. For example, God created the world. That may be a first order thing, but How did he outwork that? Is it seven days? Was it across evolution? Third order articles or third order doctrine are the maybes in this space. The speculative spaces such as uh, can believers have tattoos or not? These things shouldn't divide us but yet so often they do. It is this very concept that Paul is talking about and tackling in our passage today. Paul is using the Sabbath and ancient laws around food to illustrate this very point to the Romans. Verses 2 and 5 go, One person's faith allows them to eat anything. Another eats only vegetables. One person considers one day sacred more than the others, and the other considers all days alike. These are third order articles or statements of faith. Paul is challenging them about their focus and where it is. It should always be on the Lord. Verses 8 and 9, he says, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that we might have life and that the Lord would be both over the living and the dead. Paul is putting this mental image uh, of this exact diagram into our minds, saying, remember what is at the core of our faith. And he plainly states it in verse 11. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me, every tongue shall acknowledge God. Paul's quote here from Isaiah is one that reinforces a core belief in the sovereignty of our God. He makes multiple statements of this, drawing us back to how we should be acting as believers. In light of this core belief statement, we follow in the ways of the world too quickly in a cancel culture society. One of my youth leaders showed up a couple of weeks ago after a concert that she had been to. As she came in singing the songs and saying how great the concert was, another leader piped up and said, oh, did you not hear about the news about that artist and what they did? With a shocked cry of no, their response. Coming from a place, I thought, and no doubt understanding the cancel culture, hoping that these allegations weren't true, but probably furthermore knowing that our cancel culture is so strong that even if they were innocent, There was no coming back from this. This is the essential of what the church of Rome was doing to one another. They were cancelling each other, fracturing their relationships, accusing one another over simple, small things. We too do this in the church today. And Paul's response is this. God has accepted them. Each of us must give an account for our own lives. Therefore, do not judge. Do not become a stumbling block to one another. Whatever you believe, these things, keep them between you and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn themselves by what they approve. Each of us could please our neighbors, for it is good to build them up. A.k.a. love your neighbors as yourself is the second greatest commandment. The same word that they use here for neighbor is the same word that is used in the story of the Good Samaritan and right throughout the New Testament. It's not just saying your fellow church goer. And then as they continue on, Paul says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Paul is being very clear about drawing us into unity over what we believe, as opposed to dividing us over what we don't believe. We must do our best not to divide on seemingly minor issues. Over the centuries, the people of God have actually gone a step further to declare what it is that we believe and to make it super clear, super simple. And they have put together a creed. It is called the Apostles' Creed. What is a creed? A creed is a statement of belief. It aims to guide and direct and bring action. The Apostles' Creed's origin is is uncertain. It has been developed over the centuries and solidified over time by the people of God. Although it is not a biblical, canonical statement, it is all scripturally based and fundamentally rooted within the Word of God. What is significant about the Apostles' Creed is it allows us to unify over what we believe. It reads like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. In addition, this is such a significant part of our church body and our history as church and believers in Jesus. Without having a creed like this on hand, this is exactly what Paul is trying to speak to the Romans. Because one day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge God. What I love about what Paul is doing is in the middle, he makes this statement that helps us to land it all together. And he helps to reinforce this statement at the conclusion of his passage. In verse chapter 14, verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he concludes by saying, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Often you hear this this concept of the kingdom of God talked about in scripture. What is it? How can we understand it? And this is one of the clearest definitions that we get about this. It is not about the physical things of this world. It is not about being religious. It is about righteousness, peace, and joy. Notice that there's two parts in that that are described as an emotional state. Peace and joy. The first one that is mentioned, righteousness, is a state of being that is given to us from God. Each of these are not earned. We don't have the right to earn them, but it is all given to us by the King. Furthermore, these three words should define who we are as a community of Christ followers. It has nothing to do with what we do, have done, the mistakes we make, the hopes or dreams we might have. If we want to live out the kingdom of God, we must be defined by the righteousness, peace, and joy of the kingdom of God. All of these individual components are gifted from God. These three words, I believe, are what invite us into the answer of today's questions and all that surrounds our passage. As we're faced with divisive issues, can we stay in the room together? What is it that actually unites us? The answer to this question is simple. For the kingdom of God is, a matter of, is not a matter of eating or drinking. It's not a matter of religion. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. My challenge as we leave today is simply this. Are you bringing the kingdom of God with you in every way that you live your life? Are you focusing on what unites us rather than what divides us? I thought the best way for us to finish today would be to sing the song, This I Believe, the Creed. What a better way than to declare what it is that unites us, the things that we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. These things are what unite us and make us us. It is the righteousness, peace and joy of God that should define the way that we live. And so I encourage you, wherever it is that you're engaging and listening in, I encourage you to be inspired and stirred by the words of this song. It's coming.